the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In today's epistle lesson, St. Paul addresses the conflict between what he calls the flesh and the spirit. As with many terms in the scriptures, it can be easy for us to hear these words for years and to go right along with the only partial idea of what they mean. The more weighty the terms, the more problematic it is when we don't get them quite right. Throughout the church's history, Christians have faced a particular challenge of not immediately equating flesh and spirit with body and soul. When it arises, this error introduces yet another confusing set of terms. It's not something that just our age or our culture struggles with. People in all ages have also struggled to understand the relationship of body and soul, attempting to resolve that confusion in many ways by denying one or the other as being real, or by pitting them against each other as enemies. The whole conversation changes with Jesus, though. The incarnation of Christ and the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit reveal that these answers are insufficient. To grasp St. Paul's idea of spirit and flesh accurately, then, we must actually start by taking one step back and return again to a fully Christian theology of body and soul before advancing to the flesh and the spirit. As the Catholic writer Christopher West so helpfully put it, God made us on purpose and out of love. God did not make us via a process of trial and error but rather from deliberate, loving intention. He formed us from the dust of the earth and then gave us his own breath of life to make us alive in a way that was like how he is alive. As the Genesis story observes, and as the gospel confirms, we are our bodies and we are our souls together. They are not opposites, but rather ways of describing the inward and outward dimensions of a person. Both can truly be said to be what we are. Together, they describe a complete person. What we do with our bodies affects our souls, and what we do in our souls affects our bodies. Everything we do affects every other aspect of who we are. We are integrated, and we are personal creatures. We are incarnational, and we are spiritual all at once. We are made by the Spirit, the love of the Father and the Son, and we are made for the purpose of knowing that love between Father and Son. It is the reason why we exist. St. Paul's language of flesh and spirit does not immediately equate to body and soul. Instead, flesh represents an unnatural condition that affects both body and soul since the fall, and that is passed on through all of our generations. Flesh embodies the power of sin 
manifesting as inner corruption, as outward decay, and ultimately leads to death, the separation of body and soul. The flesh becomes obvious in our external selves through visceral urges, through wicked actions, through our stubbornness whenever the demands of love make a call upon us, and through the frailty of our bodies. Flesh opposes God's purpose and creates an inward frailty as well, leading us to have disordered interior lives. Like an overripe spot on a piece of fruit, the flesh leaves us vulnerable to the poking of the outside world, to the world's ambitions that try to call upon us and co-opt us, and to the devil's temptations to idolatry, power, and ultimately to serve him. Ultimately, flesh represents death's power to dismantle what God intended to be a unified peace within itself, within its world, and ultimately with him. By contrast, spirit is, represents the Holy Spirit's active presence bestowed as a gift and signifying God's eternal communion wherever the Holy Spirit dwells. Spirit reunites us with God after the alienation and exile of sin, shaping us back into those integrated and personal creatures again and restoring the purpose for love for which we were created. When it is received, spirit works inwardly and outwardly. It frees us from the grip of flesh and brings forth new life in those once afflicted areas. Spirit heals us from the effects of flesh by purging its corruption and by creating new life in its place. Spirit operates most evidently in our inward life, renewing our desires, our will, our knowledge of God, and forming a new foundation on which new kinds of actions and new kinds of relationships become possible. The work of spirit, though, will be completed in an outward way, in the redeeming of our bodies, in the perfecting of our communion with God and with one another. This transformative experience offers a glimpse of the life to come in the resurrection, which is already present and already being manifested in us and through us as Jesus dwells within us by faith. Our lessons, though, for today call our attention to two practical pastoral realities concerning flesh and spirit. In the epistle lesson, St. Paul reminds us that a life spent in service to flesh is one that can only result in the death of body and soul. This is a reiteration of our lesson from last week. The wages of sin, of service to the flesh, will always be death. It is the only thing flesh can ultimately give us. And that is not the main point here. What is the main point is that much of the Christian life is spent feeling the terrible sense of conflict between flesh and spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit that ignites the work of spirit within us 
immediately inspires us with hope that God is at work within us, but it also illuminates the fact that there is much more within us that needs God's help than we may have previously imagined. In pastoral meetings, I've found that this comes up more than just about anything else. It is hard to understand why we want to love God, and yet we show it so poorly in our thoughts, words, and deeds. But the truth is that the felt presence of the interior conflict reveals that there are, indeed, two sides to the fight. And that means the Spirit is warring against the flesh, and thus the Holy Spirit is doing his work and is with us and for us. In this way, the Spirit's presence testifies to the part of our mind or our heart that is uncertain or scared that we are, in fact, God's beloved children. In the Gospel, Jesus warns us not to be like those who try to sidestep this difficult and perplexing interior transformation by attempting to live like it is unnecessary. His words are very clear and stern. Not everyone that says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easy, after all, to mimic the wise words of monastics, the charitable acts of reformers, and the arguments of theologians without actually knowing our Lord through the Spirit, who alone makes the knowledge of our Lord as our Lord describes it even possible. To do the will of God is not just to pay outward service while retaining a private life within. We must never divide body and soul, and we must not imagine a spiritual life that attempts to preserve and to silo off particular enjoyments of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is no such thing as a partial resurrection. What is not really dead is not really raised. We cannot allow the power of the flesh within us to just pretend to be dead. The flesh must really die. It must be nailed to the cross of Christ, and it will not die without a fight. We should expect in the Christian life that part of us will always resist to the end the fact that we must pick up our cross and follow Christ, that we must be crucified with Christ through the trials and temptations of life, through the experience of coming up short and having to be received again with mercy by a God who loves us. A mentor of mine once taught me that the true gospel always afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. And that's where we find ourselves in the lessons this morning. If we are the kind of person who is pretty satisfied with life as it is, and who isn't that keen to open the doors of the heart to the comforting, but not always comfortable, scrutiny of God, if we are resistant to the demands of his love, then we must hear again Jesus' warning and beware the idol of partial salvation. It is possible to do all the so-called right things and to miss out on the presence of God who gives them life. We cannot settle 
for a crossless Christianity. The flesh must die in us. We must let the spirit kill the thing that is killing us. We will experience it as a struggle, as a loss, and maybe even as a bit of shame. But in its place, the spirit will always create more and better than we were willing to settle for. On the other hand, we may be gravely and scrupulously concerned this morning about whether we are growing in the Spirit. We may be grieved that there remains within us such a conflict and that we so imperfectly love God and others. If that's you, remember that there are only two states in which the interior conflict is absent. When we are consumed by the flesh and dead in our sins, and when we are made perfect in the resurrection. Every other moment is spent in the combat of life and death within us. The conflict is a symptom of the panicking flesh scraping for survival, but it is also the reassuring clarion call of the Spirit's impending rescue. As St. John writes to us, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. It can become difficult to actually hear and receive the words that we are loved as much as our Father truly loves us. The voice of shame and fear can be deafening. But if we are worried that God cannot love us in the midst of so much conflict, then we need to be confronted again this morning by St. Paul's reminder that God indeed loves us very much and looks on us as his beloved children. As the essayist Anne Lamott once quipped, God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you far too much to let you stay that way. Or in the words of St. Paul, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.